0: Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. This is my, and Larry's, uh, top movies of 2020. Um, Larry, I I had just asked him to come moderate, but he is a film nerd, so I think we deserve to get his list as well. Uh, unlike the book episode, where I, I don't think uh, Larry reads quite as much as me to offer as huge of an opinion... <laughs> But here with films he can, uh, we're going to do my top 15. Larry has a top 10.
1: Yeah, I'll throw it in when when necessary. Okay.
0: And uh, so I'm going to start by saying the worst movie I watched all year was Unhinged with Russell Crowe. I actually... But it,
1: wasn't it just Falling Down redone
0: for the modern era? That would be giving it way too much credit because yeah. Falling Down is a actual movie that works unhinged was i actually had high hopes for it because the director's first movie i think it's called american dreamer american dreams i don't I, anyways it's the dreamer sounds familiar it's a noir film starring jim gaffigan and it's actually good um hey very hard yeah it's very hard to watch because uh, Jim Gaffigan's character is one of the most despicable characters I've ever seen in a movie, which is saying something.
1: Oh, it's going on the list now.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's actually a good movie. So I thought Unhinged had a chance to be good. It is not good. It is, in fact, very bad. So well, there is a movie just like that on your list that I
1: did not enjoy at all.
0: Okay. Well, but
1: I will say, my worst was We Summon the Darkness, which I've never heard of. It's actually better in its second half than its first half, but it's a nightmare and it
0: has Johnny Knoxville in it. So, Wow, that sounds really bad. I would say that if you want to wa- instead of watching Unhinged, you're better off just going back and watching The Hitcher from the 80s, which Ooh. is yeah, that's a great movie. That is a great movie. Eric Red uh, wrote that. All right, so I have a few honorable mentions, which are movies that I really liked this year, but I don't think that they're list worthy. Uh, but I did want to shout out. I think a lot of people will be surprised that I did not have Color Out of Space, um, the Richard Stanley H.P. Lovecraft adaptation with Nick Cage, on my list. I did like it. And I am. Probably more stoked about that movie actually coming out because it means Richard Stanley's making movies again. Yeah, um, right. Than than the actual movie, and I'm more excited about the continued trilogy that he's planning of HP Lovecraft movies. So I'm glad right. that came out, and that we're going to get more of those. Yeah, um,
1: I actually, I didn't get a chance to see that one. It's,
0: yeah, I refused
1: to pay for anything.
0: Yeah, you should see it. Um, it's. I would say it's worth the rental, but um, and then I also yeah, I pay for like 15 damn streaming services. I, should I get everything for free. Yes. Ask um, that. Well, and um, Palm Springs is the next honorable mention with um, Andy Sandberg, which is, yes, it's just another Groundhog's Day kind of take, but I think they did really interesting things with the premise. And it was funny. That's
1: It is number seven on my list.
0: All right. So we will talk about Palm Springs more. And then uh, the Jesse Eisenberg movie about Marceau, Marceau called Resistance. This is a biopic about the famous mime mime during his time as a resistance fighter against Nazi Germany in France which I did not know that he did these things. And so, and I thought that was a very good movie, but just not list worthy. And then The Trial of the Chicago 7 by Aaron, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, which is almost a great movie, except for. almost. Well, I think it's a good movie, but oh. I think, I think it's an incredibly well-written movie that should have been directed by someone else. I think another director with another director it could have been next level but i think um number two on my list i watched it three times three times the first week it came out it is very good it's on my list as an honorable mention i just it is very good i did like it i just think aaron sorkin uh dwells on things in a little bit like i think uh um I think we, we got a sharper, sharper, snappier version of it if because originally Spielberg was supposed to direct it and I, I know then you it know. would have
1: been some snappy bullshit.
0: Well, fuck that. Anyways, I personally would have thought I thought it would have been better. And then I did want to say that I did not, even though I did not list it, I did think Tenant. I just finally saw Tenant, the Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> did you say Tenant? Tenant. And um, the first half, I was like, whoa, this doesn't make any sense at all. And then I realized you're not supposed to make sense of it at first. And I think in the sense that I do like that, like Memento, it's a movie that he's relying that you're going to watch it more than once to, Hmm. to get some of the things on it. And I did think the kind of backwards action scenes were... It's hard in 2020 after 120 years of cinema to do something different with action scenes at this time yeah, right. And so I give Nolan a lot of credit for at least trying to do something different and me personally it worked. I just saw it so late it was hard for me to kind of put it in my list and because I didn't I think it was a movie that should have been seen in the theater and I didn't see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. I felt like a weird disconnection to watching it. I don't know if that makes sense, but... No, it makes sense. Didn't I'm, I'm not totally feeling it, but I think when I watch it again, I will like it better. So anyways, so we'll, let's start the list then. <laughs> so this is a weird year. The last movie I saw in the theater, I believe, we saw together, which was The Lodge. Which was technically 2019. I don't think I saw a movie all year. No, it
1: wasn't. It wasn't 2019.
0: It was 2020. It was yep. okay. That's interesting because it felt so long ago that um, The Lodge could have been on my list. That was definitely a great. The other one, the other one that I forgot was this year was 1917. Yes, those are the last two movies that I saw in the theater were 1917 and, and The Lodge. Well, yes, but 1917 technically was released in 2019.
1: No, I, I, I look these things up and what they do is they, they put the release date as dates that it's in festivals and stuff. Right. It really doesn't count.
0: Yeah, but those are the only two movies that I saw in the theater this year. And, and honestly, if I had been thinking about that, they'd probably be high, higher, high on my list. Um, I did really like The Lodge, even though I don't think it held up as well on second viewing when I watched it at home. But when I saw it in the theater, I I loved the crap out of it. And then 1917, I thought was incredible as well. It was a spectacle, that's for sure. Yeah. And I do think you one of the things that's cool about 1917 is you forget that the gimmick of it being all in, in one continuous shot you, yeah. you forget about that
1: once the story. Yeah, because the story is compelling unto itself so
0: yeah yeah great film so um i definitely recommend those too but anyways number 15 on my so i focused on movies that were a 2020 experience right ones that as we watched as could be. As yeah much. right that we watched at home because spirit I, okay i know the lodge and 1917 came out this year and I know that technically I saw them in the theater this year. And I know some people saw Invisible Man in the theater this year, but I don't think anything you saw in the theater should count for 2020 <laughs> just spiritually because this year is a year where pretty much everybody watched movies at home all the time. Yeah, That may be funny.
1: I didn't see a lot of them because the new releases they wanted to charge money for and Guess what? If I have Disney plus and CBS and Netflix and Amazon prime and blah, blah, blah. And you're still going to charge me money. You can go to hell. All right. Um,
0: that's Larry's take on that. Um, so, uh, my number 15 is, uh, Bill and Ted face the music. Now I am one of the people who believes that Bill and Ted's bogus journey is better than the original um, I, I am one of those people as well. Yes. and But here's the weird thing. I am not sure. I don't remember if I watched it or not back in the day. But leading up to the release of Bill and Ted Face the Music, Carrie and I watched the entire trilogy. I definitely had fonder thoughts and memories for Bogus Journey than I did Excellent Adventure, watching it again. One thing that I learned watching Bill and Ted this time that I did not know ever before is that this that the bill and ted movies was written by one of the matheson sons one of richard matheson ed matheson i believe is right uh, yeah richard math richard matheson the man behind i am legend and the incredible shrinking man that uh it's one of his sons wrote this now rc matheson his son is a very well-regarded and well-known author and screenwriter also wrote for the a-team which is amazing. So it was interesting to me that a Matheson kid wrote, wrote all three Bill and Ted or was involved in all three Bill and Ted movies. Now the thing about this movie that I think is really incredible is that it's a legacy sequel. It's 25 years later. It, it could have been horrible, but one of the things that I think makes Bill and Ted face music so great is that it fits into the other two movies. It's funny. It has a similar type story to the other two but it does new ground there are scenes that are just like will make you cry funny um hmm. particularly when they're jamming at the, at the wedding and I, have, I haven't
1: seen the movie so i can't i can't tell you
0: okay <laughs> but, yeah uh, uh you
1: can tell me all about it if you want to
0: so i'm not giving away like any big story spoilers but um I think... Yeah, we should
1: probably avoid spoilers on this, huh?
0: Yeah. I as think much so. as possible. As much as possible. And then, but what I really do think is that the tone and the energy of the movie is really heartwarming. It, it's a feel-good movie. And so it,
1: definitely it, not Bogus Journey.
0: It's. I would say it's closer to Bogus Journey than it is Excellent Adventure in the sense that really? it does something different. It's not just... I mean, it is time travel. Yeah.
1: Bogus <laughs> Journey and, did everything different. Yeah, I
0: know. It <laughs> was great. They, yes, killed, they killed him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so regardless, I, I think that um, it's kind of a magic trick they pulled off, that they they got, they did everything right. They got it to work. So fans of the original movies loved it. They got new people. It felt good watching it. You're laughing the whole time. I just, I love Bill and Ted Face Music. Um, yeah, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of hard things to do. On a very different spectrum, my my number fourteen is. But wait,
1: my number fifteen. Just to get that out of the way. Was Wonder Woman eighty four, and uh, that's mostly because there weren't a lot of movies I saw this year. There were twenty one movies that came out in in twenty twenty that I saw.
0: So okay. So by process of elimination. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, uh, well, I, I didn't ask you what yours was because I thought you just had a top 10. That's why I didn't. I just, yeah, I, I sort of, I, I had a top 10, but I kind of have a top 15. Okay. So I can ask you. Okay. So, all right. So my number 14 is a Australian horror film called Relic, which was, uh, I believe, on Netflix. And, no one's on my list to see yeah and um, this is a movie this is a slow burn gothic type it's not like a big violent bloody affair it is a it is not for everyone movie about dementia <laughs> and dealing with aging parents and so it's going to be especially hard hitting for those of us who have had to take care of elderly parents the I'm I can't remember you're gonna have to help me with some of these the the woman that plays um the woman that plays the older mother in the film is was the oracle in the matrix in the i believe the first or second one, one of the matrix movies she played one of the oracles and she's incredible well,
1: well there was only two oracles because the first one died so i, I assume it's the second one
0: yeah and uh yeah, so uh, she is obviously an Australian actor, so that's where she comes from. Yeah, Relic is great. Relic is um, a very stylish. It's a first-time director, as far as I know. It was a majority female production, like, and it has really great sensibility. I really dug this movie. It's nothing groundbreaking, like super groundbreaking. Just a very solid, moody. Dark, uh, brain-twisty horror movie, and I can't wait to see what this director does in the future. So, Larry, your number
1: fourteen. My number fourteen is <laughs> is babysitter the kill, uh, babysitter killer queen, the sequel to the babysitter. While it wasn't as good or as fresh as the babysitter, it was still a lot of fun. I, I love a horror comedy. And this one was just a campy, good time with killing people, and they brought back a bunch of the characters from the first one, so they kept it kept it related to the first one. And there's some surprises, but it's not gonna it's not gonna wow you or anything. But it's it's good enough. <laughs> there's some, the parents are probably the best part, and they they're just wacky.
0: I have not seen any of the babysitter movies, so I cannot
1: well i I highly recommend the first one it's it's horror comedy done right
0: yeah, I'm not a big horror comedy guy although minus I' I'm, it, minus one joke that totally doesn't work. I do love the frighteners, the Peter Jackson um, yeah, that's a great movie so i i, I guess I do like the scene there's been
1: the... there's been a lot of good horror comedy lately. Like Final Girls, that was good.
0: I've heard, one, Freaky is, I've heard Freaky is good. I just haven't seen it. I,
1: I, Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. But uh Yeah, th- there's been a couple I've I've watched recently that were were pretty pretty funny and pretty horrible.
0: <laughs> All right, so my number 13 is uh, one that was released in the theater before everything started and, and came close to being the last movie anyone saw in the theater for a long time. And that is uh, Lee Wonell's Invisible Man. Uh, Hated it. Yeah, okay, before you get into it, I, I do want to <laughs> say that um, I prefer Lee L's directorial debut, Upgrade, which is amazing. And I did not yeah. like Invisible Man, Quite as much as Upgrade, but I want Lee Winnell to keep making movies. He's mostly known as one of the original writers of the first Saw movie and did a bunch Mm -hmm. of things with James Wan. I think he's doing more interesting things, breaking out on his own. I definitely loved Upgrade, love, love, loved Upgrade, but Invisible Man I thought was good, had good moments. Uh, It's pretty low on my list, it's not super high. I, I did like how it kind of dealt with some of the gaslighting issues that uh, is kind of. Yeah. I,
1: I think if you get into the issues and social justice and all that stuff, it, it, it does have a lot to say
0: mm-hmm.
1: as just an, a movie. It's awful, but I think every <laughs> invisible man movie is inherently awful Because you're trying to film something that's not there. And it's dumb. The whole idea behind the invisible man
0: is dumb. Stop doing it. It's so bad. Is one of the reasons that I am impressed by the movie. Because I I think he did as much as he could with the concept. And considering how terrible Universal did it at, at introducing its dark universe storylines i think yeah. lee, winnell, lee winnell you know bringing it back from you know because they tried to do the mummy as like a big action movie and and that was awful it was <laughs> it was way worse than this and yeah, yeah so, that's true so what i what i would say i liked about this movie is that i do think there are moments where he's building suspense and doing it well, I find movies. About- yeah.
1: This is this is not a spoiler, but David, you're totally wrong. Sure. Building suspense would be maybe having the character not be a a mustache twirling evil guy right at the beginning. First scene, he's dead ass evil. There's no mystery in this. Yes, because we know there's an invisible man.
0: <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't be called the invisible man. I can see your point, although I think the way that they dealt with the way they had him appearing to be dead and still like haunting her life and having people question her sanity. Well, I, I mean, think- if,
1: if we were doing spoilers, we could totally go into it. I I agree with that, but I think there are some there are some decent twists. Oh those yeah, those guards just lining up like a video game AI enemy was
0: okay. Hard to yeah. take. I get it, and I get it, and I see. I can see it's not number one on my list. It's number thirteen. Yeah. So I'm it's, a, it's gonna, a rough year. It's a rough year. So. I'm not gonna go super hard to bat for a minute. <laughs> right. I enjoy the experience of watching it. So I would defend uh, the next movie, which is oh, oh let me. Just, hey, right. my, my oh yeah, you're me. number thirteen. Which, um, again, weak year,
1: but I do think there were some some good performances in it. It's Extraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. It's not the. It's not the best action movie. It's not the best uh, kidnapping movie. It's not the best any kind of movie.
0: Oh, I did but, like that movie a lot, but it was it was
1: yeah, it was watchable. It was highly watchable.
0: Yeah, I, I actually thought it was a, a a good action movie. It just um, yeah, and I thought that everything was well staged. And I actually, I think I was pretty tired when I watched that. I actually think I should watch that one again
1: that yeah, made- yeah, it has some some nice funny moments, uh, mm-hmm. some surprises, like everything you would expect from an action movie.
0: Yeah no 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 i i i appreciated that and i'd be interesting to know me i'd be interested to know what outlaw verne thought of that movie um because he's my final arbiter on action movies because he's the critic that i think best understands action movies oh yeah so, who yeah. is it outlaw Vern. he was just recently a guest on oh, the okay. podcast for the jet lee episode yeah 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 and um no one writes better about uh Action movies, and there are very few people who could write as many words about sudden death, starring John Claude Montaigne, <laughs> as Bernie as right. could. Uh, yeah, I would like to. I didn't look up what his thoughts were on extraction, but I, I, I'm interested to know what he thinks. All right, so my number 12 is a, a re teaming, a reunion of a star and director that produced one of my favorite movies of 1999, and that is you should have left starring Kevin Bacon directed by David Kep. They worked together before on Stir of Echoes which was an incredible adaptation of Richard Matheson's classic 1960 novel yeah. Stir of Echoes. Um that, is that called... movie is still underrated just because of whatever it was. What was the other
1: movie that came out at the same Sixth time Sense. as Stir
0: It came out the same year as Sixth Sense and what's funny is is that people would say at the time that *Stir of Echoes was a ripoff of Sixth Sense when the novel was written in 1956 or something.
1: Yeah. Right. Um,
0: and I said 1960, but it is actually from the 50s. Um, Star of Echoes, the, the the original novel. I am a fan of David kep's work as a writer-director. He, ma- he writes a lot of Hollywood goop because he gets hired to rewrite a lot of scripts. So he gets a lot of work on blockbuster movies and so he gets kind of a bad rap but the movies that he's written for himself serve echoes he wrote panic room for david fincher great film uh, yeah he did a good a cool movie about bike messengers um with joseph gordon levitt called premium rush that's underrated and um i haven't seen that one but it's on my list so i mean he's not perfect as a writer director but uh, and he did recently do a novel, which I've been meaning to read. Um, I just haven't gotten to yet. Mm. But You Should Have Left is a, um interesting thriller, horror movie. And uh, well... well so is, is it a haunted house kind of thing? Sort of, yes. Um, I think that gets a little bit into spoilers, but Kevin Bacon plays a character who... He's a... He's... Um, once wealthy person who has kind of a shady past who's married to a much younger film actor in, in the movie, um, and uh, they go to the Welsh countryside for a getaway because uh, he's trying to get away from some things that are in his past, he cannot quite escape. Uh, I thought this movie was it's funny because I don't think. Hardly anyone saw it. It, It's a movie that got released on Prime Video and just kind of lost as soon as... But it also
1: got... It did get bad reviews.
0: It did get bad reviews. Um, I don't... I personally think they're wrong. I think it's a good movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think... One of the things you have to realize about the film reviews this year is that... um, As opposed to every other year, is that the film reviewers are also watching from home. They are watching with the distractions. And I know... Some filmmakers have bemo- have bemoaned the fact that the critics are not going to critic screenings, so they're writing these based on pausing and stopping movies, having things going on in their space, right. and all that. And this is a movie that I think does benefit from immersion, and I think would have been a little bit better on the big screen. I'm there for it because I love David Kep and Kevin Bacon, and. I trusted them to tell the story.
1: By the way, Kevin Bacon was in the best bike messenger movie of all time.
0: Cool, Quicksilver. Quicksilver. Yes. <laughs> and I, I personally, I think people. This is a movie that forget the reviews, and if you can go in and and give and, and immerse yourself in a little bit, allow yourself to to be in it. Um, Kep, One of the things that Kepp is really good at that people a lot of times miss but it's one of the reasons why stir of echoes works and one of the reasons why his script for panic room works is kepp is really good at the tiny details that mm-hmm. build suspense um, especially stir of echoes is a good sign of that and one of the things that's a good melding there is that richard matheson was also one of the people who is really good at that so the novel and the film both have a lot of those moments. And I think David Kep is really good at those. And so one of the reasons why you should have left works for me is because there are tons of those little moments. And you can tell, that you can tell, and one of the things that I, when you, when because I read a couple of those bad reviews, and I think right. a lot, I think a couple of those critics, where it's obvious that they're not paying attention to the film in the way that they should, is that, You can, if you watch You Should Have Left with the eye, considering that David Kepp learned a lot working on the set of Panic Room with David Fincher. There's a lot of David Fincher influence in how the camera moves and how the camera tells the story here. So I recommend You Should Have Left. Don't listen to the critics. Watch it with an open mind. It is a little hard to take at first that Kevin Bacon is married to an actress that is obviously young enough to be his grandchild. And that is very hard at first. That's pretty pretty ageist, there, David. But here's the thing: they don't. That is a part of the story, and they don't just ignore it, which is really important to me. All right, uh, your number with Amanda Seyfried. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's good. However,
1: you pronounce her name.
0: Yeah, she's very good in it. Yes. Right. All right.
1: So my number 12 is uh, is kind of an odd choice, but uh, it's Troop Zero, which uh, if you watch the Dickheads podcast, every, I've, I've had a couple of picks that are like, very innocent children, child movies and shows and books and stuff. But uh, every once in a while, I need a little innocence in my life just to uh, prove that there's a good reason for us to be here on this planet. And the <laughs> Troop Zero is one of those feel good uh, movies about children finding their place in the world in terrible situations, but, but in a kid friendly and told in a kid friendly way. So it's about a bunch of losers who become a, a, girl scout troop and they're all the you know all the misfits of the, of the town they live in there's a big pageant about uh going to space camp or something like that that's the prize so they they try their hardest and
0: it goes from there <laughs> um, wow okay that's your number 12 my number 11 is, this is one movie that will come into the debate of, is it a horror film? Is it not a horror film? Which is my least favorite debate because I think, yeah, I I think uh, we should be expanding the scope of what is horror, not diminishing it. But my number 11 is Vivarium starring Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots, I believe. Is
1: Imogen yeah. Poots
0: who uh made her debut as a child actor and 28 weeks later so it's weird seeing her be all grown up because it's a good reminder that time is passing uh lorcan finnegan is the director uh, an Irish director i believe this movie i believe was filmed in ireland but you it's it's all american accents they don't like make it seem irish yeah this is a very pkd very weird surreal insane horror movie did you see this one larry yeah it's it's horror and science fiction so yeah it is horror and science fiction um it is about a couple who are going to look for new homes and they go to check out a new house and then um, are unable to leave the neighborhood um, and they are trapped and
1: hijinks ensues
0: <laughs> yeah it's they're alone in this neighborhood that um it's a completely surreal and then they are given a child to raise that they are told they have to raise this child otherwise they will never leave and this child is insane weird demon child and totally insufferable completely insufferable um, I thought this movie was incredible um, and uh, I, but
1: my one problem with it is it doesn't quite balance the, uh, the analogy it's trying to make with the cuckoo
0: okay I see what you're
1: saying uh, I enjoyed it but it doesn't there, it doesn't truly
0: do a cuckoo story interesting alright yeah I, I thought this was uh, really horrific and unrelenting I thought that um, especially because of how insane the child was that it was very uncomfortable and the movie just kept getting more uncomfortable and I appreciated that that it was like you had to turn down your TV and I think if you were trapped in the theater watching this you'd be like oh my god when the kid is screaming you know it's a, a very immersive film and it is like you definitely feel terrible for the human beings that are in it, and towards the end, you're just like... Yeah, it's great
1: how the character, the personalities, how they're written, how the characters react to their situation. It's it's very believable. Mm -hmm. And and seeing how people would handle this kind of, um, um, almost like a
0: prison situation. Uh, And here's another thing I really like about this movie. If you look on IMDb, it's only got a rating of like five point something. And what I really, one thing I liked about this movie is people didn't get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I think people were rating it as like, God, this movie was awful and uncomfortable and I didn't like it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's absolutely supposed to be that. It's absolutely <laughs> supposed to be that. And I think that people are rating it on the experience they had watching it instead of like what experience of what it was trying to, to yeah. do. So on, on that note, I thought vivarium was was a great movie and I really did appreciate it yeah
1: it, it didn't make my my top list, but it's definitely a movie I enjoyed but i I did have some problems with it. I mean, I feel like Jesse Eisenberg, while he can be a fantastic actor, some of his roles just that that nerd momentum doesn't quite quite fit and I feel like a,
0: a different casting choice
1: might have been better here.
0: Well, what's interesting too is he had just come off doing the Marcel playing Marcel Marceau Marceau. in in Resistance, and um, I think it would that would be a hard movie to let go of, and and just to go right right into to this one, just a real world thing like that would be an interesting back to back for an actor. All right, you're number eleven, Larry. Well, I I talked about this one on the uh, on the Dickheads podcast.
1: It was uh, one of my suggestions is horse girl and it's it's kind of similar to vivarium and it's it's non-reality and it's uncomfortableness and it's a story of a, a girl who works at a at a like a michael's hobby store kind of thing and she's just has visions and paranoia kind of gets into a lot of PTSD and 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 like weird weird stuff, and it seems like there's something supernatural going on, but you're not quite sure. But maybe, but yes, it's one of those movies. Small movie, intimate cast. Uh, what's her face is in it. <laughs> you know, what's her face. <laughs> It's yeah, got Molly Shannon. Molly Shannon plays the friend, and Alison Brie plays the main character. And Alison Brie is a, a fantastic actress. Uh, I don't, I think she doesn't have a lot of a lot of roles where she can truly shine. Just because I don't know, just because of the role she takes. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the movies where I think she gets to show a different side, All a right. more emotional and less.
0: I don't know, boppy girl all right so my number 10 is weird because it's two movies that start with the letter v in a row um which is amazon prime movie called the vast of night uh technically it was released to festivals and stuff in 2019 but it came out yeah it doesn't count (laughs) yeah festivals don't count but this movie made a lot of rounds and was kind of notorious on the festival route for a while before amazon picked it up this is a really interesting low budget very low budget science fiction movie called uh well obviously it's called best night anyways it's set in new jersey or not new jersey new mexico sorry i'm screwing everything up right now set (laughs) in mexico in the 1950s and it's centered around a radio station in a small town how they're getting a strange frequency
1: telephone operator yeah. It's up a strange frequency on on her her board.
0: Yeah I am definitely grading this movie on a curve because is so impressive about The Vast of Night is what it does with its small budget. It is not easy to make a period movie if you have an enormous budget but it is really hard to make a period movie when you have when you're an independent film with no studio backing at the time when they made it to make it. A- and
1: isn't it a first time writer and first time director or something like that?
0: Yes. Um, Andrew Patterson is who uh, wrote and directed it. And um, the opening shot alone, which is beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It has an opening shot that is, is at every bit as impressive as anything in 1917, more impressive because it had they did it without the resources that 1917 had and they were all
1: the dialogue in it
0: yeah this movie yeah this movie also violates your that's key to violates one of the most like rules in film writing is that you show don't tell this movie is all tell it's all talking Mm -hmm. but and it wouldn't work if the performances weren't really interesting. I'm not saying it's the best movie, but it breaks rules and it does really interesting things. It's really worth seeing. And I think.
1: And it, I think what it does is it gives extra depth to all the characters. Like it's, it, there's stuff about the characters you don't really need to know, but knowing those things just makes you care more about the characters. And that's what a lot of movies don't do, is give you anything extra. They just want you to know the parts that are going to matter in the story and leave out anything that isn't that. Right. And this one
0: spends the time to let you get, get to know these people. So I don't know who Andrew Patterson is. This was his, his first film, but I'm really excited to see what this dude does with the budget and with money and he's gonna get it because people were really impressed with this it has a 6.7 on imdb so like people are in the more positive camp which is surprising to me because it's a movie that's not built on explosions and huge action scenes and you right you know and but there is some terrifying
1: moments in it yeah i think that's that's worth mentioning
0: and, and look, as a writer, I love when anybody can build tension using dialogue. There's very few cases of that where it works really perfectly. The example that a lot of people use to cue people into that idea is the basement scene in *Inglorious Bastards or the opening scene in *Inglorious Bastards is an example where almost all the suspense and the, the, the driving of the narrative is the subtext of what's being said between the characters and what's cool about vast of night is that everything is done through the dialogue it's all it's very talky it's all talky it's a very talky movie and and it works and i would i would watch it again in a heartbeat um to to see um the magic trick that this director pulled off two things yeah. two magic tricks dialogue dialogue driving the narrative and this opening shot which is just Beautiful and incredible. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's two reasons why every, everybody should watch that. So I take it you recommend it as well. Uh, yeah, I, I have it in the in the same spot as you. <laughs> oh, okay, so we both had number ten. Yep. Vast night. So then I guess I should go to my number nine since we yep. both talked about that. And this is starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I don't know if it's pronounced seventy-five hundred or. Um, okay. But it's also an Amazon. That's two Amazon movies in a row. Uh, 7,500 is the is the secret code that pilots give to the watchtower or to the uh, air traffic control. Watchtower. <laughs> watchtower. To the air traffic control that uh, terrorists have seized or seized control of the plane. This movie Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a pilot who's flying a Berlin to Paris flight in Europe. Um, he's in a relationship with one of the flight attendants that's really important and it was directed by patrick volrath who i've never heard of never heard of right um he wrote a movie called ketchup kid <laughs> and so i'm assuming this is the first serious film that he wrote and directed this movie is a very hitchcockian thriller in the sense that one of the things Hitchcock was really starting to develop before he died and like something that he wanted to do with film, uh, close or closed narratives. He was really trying to develop the idea of like he wanted to do he kept he famously said that he was working on trying to he wanted to do a thriller and a phone booth, which eventually uh, we did get with Colin Farrell directed by the um, Uh, Joel Schumacher and that script written by Larry Cohen was very famous for when he wrote that script many years before it actually got made Spielberg said you did it you you wrote the Hitchcock phone booth uh, movie I think this is very similar in that because almost the whole movie is in the in the uh, what do they call it the um, cockpit of the plane right and almost all of it it's all set on the on the plane and these terrorists take over, sees the plane, and it's the all seen through the eyes of this pilot. So we don't we almost never leave his point of view through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I thought this was an incredible thriller. I really thought it worked on every level. It was very tight spaces. Joseph Gordon Levitt is a great actor, so I like to watch him in anything. He's pretty much the reason why I watched the movie. <laughs> and I thought he really sold it some of the desperation and moments in it uh really worked for me the film the tension everything just it, it worked I I really like this movie did you see it Larry
1: I haven't seen it yet but it's on my list
0: I I thought this was great and I'm really interested to see what the director does in the future because it's um it's hard to work with those tight in controlled spaces. And yeah. I kept waiting for the movie to show its scenes by Cut you know, away or something. Well, you know how found footage movies show their scenes because they do really unrealistic things yeah. in order to fit like the found footage. And I kept waiting for the movie to do really unnatural and unrealistic things in order for him to see everything from the cockpit. But one of the things I right. really liked about this movie is that he allowed for us to not know. Yeah. What what was happening some of the times and allowed us to have the same mystery that he as a character would have and and for that I I really appreciated that. And he did not cheat the concept at any time. And cool. and I could be wrong, maybe he did cheat it and I just didn't notice <laughs> some of the times, but uh Larry, what was your number nine? Um, well, here's the thing: is my
1: number nine? I, I should wait. <laughs> I'm just going to hold off because this is your show. We'll wait until we get there.
0: Oh, okay. Um, I think you, you might have tell- a couple of those. Who knows? You can tell us what movie it is, and we'll come back to it. No, I'd rather not. Okay. Leave a little mystery. All right, number eight. Sorry, I was eating. (laughs) That's the first time on the podcast for me. Um, My number eight, I'm going to be kind of short on for reasons. Um, And this is uh, Capone, uh, written and directed by Josh Trank, starring Tom Hardy and Linda Cardellini, who um, Carrie and I both uh, really like from Dead Dead to Me. Is a show? Well, she's she's great in a lot of things, right? So Capone is uh, Josh Trank's film about the last days of Al Capone's life. At that time, he was losing his mind to dementia, and so the idea of living with an aging, going insane gangster in a giant mansion is kind of a frightening prospect for his family, nice. and. Um, this, much like how Josh Crank's, Trank's first movie is a, a subtle horror movie that's not supposed to be a horror movie in the beginning, just like Chronicle. Capone is a horror movie. It's kind of under the guise of a biopic drama. but once once things get going are uh, really bad, um, it's it's really bad and uh, <laughs> it's and- really bad. And if you ever wanted to see a movie where Tom Hardy wears a diaper, chews on a carrot, and shoots a Tommy gun, a gold-plated Tommy (laughs) gun, (laughs) here's here's your movie. Uh, Unfortunately, Capone did not get released in theaters because of 2020. It stars Tom Hardy, Kyle McLaughlin, Matt Dillon, all have really great small roles in it. Um, The movie is really good with world-building details, just like little, little bits and pieces of details that really um, make the world. And we we not really gotten a chance to see Josh drink uh, stretch his muscles because his first movie was uh, in the found footage genre. And so we this is the first time we really without studio interference or anything got to see what what he could do um, as right. a filmmaker. So I really appreciated that. So Larry, you're number eight. My number eight is
1: something, something. Oh, you already talked about this one, so that's fine. Is Palm Springs, which is the the uh, Ground Groundhog's Day sort of movie, but hilarious in its own way. What and similarly dark, but in a different in a different kind of way. Well, no, kind of the same way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, in fact, it's. Very much Groundhog's Day
0: in the desert. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the main things that makes the difference and in, in one of the underrated things of this movie, one of the things I liked is J.K. Simmons character. The idea that Exactly yes. <laughs> that there's somebody who's like pissed off that we're repeating every other day and Yeah. Thinks it's his fault and wants to kill him because of it is, is something new in a time loop movie. And I, I appreciated that because the idea that there's somebody who's just fucking driven crazy by having to time loop, <laughs> of you
1: Again, uh, this this movie comes that. down again to yes, it's doing the Groundhog's Day thing, but the the main characters actually have a story, have a life, other than just one person being about one person. You do find out about J.K. Simmons' character and and mm-hmm. the the other two and and their problems and. Like what's driving them to be behind, to be doing this loop?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I did like it. Um, It was obviously an honorable mention, so I appreciated it. My number seven is a controversial pick because, um, and I don't intentionally pick movies that um, get a lot of negative backlash (laughs) to to defend. Um, (laughs) I'm not always a contrarian, but okay, so my number seven is Books of Blood. Written and directed by uh, Brown and Braga, and yes, I have had Brandon on the show to talk about this movie, so if you really want to hear me go in depth about this movie, uh, fresh off of having just watched it, you can listen to that interview. Uh, My thing about Books of Blood was one of the reasons why I reached out to Brandon originally to be on the podcast is because I kept seeing negative not reviews, but negative posts on social media from different horror people and Clyde Barker fans that were complaining about the movie and didn't like the movie. So, as a Brandon Braga fan, um because he wrote a, out of the 300 or 280 hours of Star Trek he's written, he's written a lot of my favorite episodes, so I, yeah. I have followed him to TV shows like Flash Forward and Threshold and and now the Orville, which I love. And, uh, so I trusted Brandon Braga to do a good job. So I was surprised when I kept seeing all these bad reviews. And then, so my bar was really low when I watched it because I had seen other people say that they hated it. And then when I watched it, and it could be because my bar was really low, but I was super impressed with the movie because, well, it's not perfect. Um, they were working with very limited budget, but uh, which kind
1: of comes through.
0: Yeah. But what impressed me about it was it's we've seen a million horror anthology movies, a million of them. And they all start the same, like just like Creepshow, they have the framing device at the beginning and the end, and they have somebody that introduce it. And in reality, the Books of Blood series by Clyde Barker started off the same way. It had the story with the character who had all the stories written on his skin, on the, you know, yeah. and that was the opening story of the Books of Blood series. And what I thought was impressive that Brendan Braga did was he did adapt that story, the Books of Blood, but he put Red Snapper at the beginning of the story with a story that looked like an introductory story, And there's three stories, two of which are new, original Clive ideas that Clive gave to to Brandon, and then an adaptation of that framing story. But what he did was he put the framing story in the middle. He, He basically tied all three of these seemingly unrelated stories together to the framing device and to the final story, which is an original story, but comes directly out of... Oh, is it? Yeah, it comes out of the the middle frame, the framing story in the middle. This is a structure that we've never seen before in a horror anthology story. We've seen a hundred horror anthology movies from... And Trick or Treat is the only other one that did kind of original things with the framing devices, but yeah, but I thought, as a piece of writing that what brandon was doing was really impressive because he was breaking the mold after all these years he was breaking the mold and he was breaking the mold while adapting faithfully adapting a story but putting it in another context i thought that was very impressive and i thought overlooked when people were were judging this movie just Mm -hmm. purely, purely from take away the performances, the direction, the writing, all that. I'm just, or the the direction and the filmmaking because there's some of the performances were not as good as some of the others, but as a pure piece of constructive writing and structure, I really liked that. And so overall, I was able to forget, and I thought the stories were, I love the idea of a supernatural Chernobyl, which the final story, and this is one of the new Clive Barker stories, and that's what if you listen to the interview with Brandon, Clive, that was what Clive suggested to him. What if there was a neighborhood that was a supernatural Chernobyl? So much supernatural oh. stuff yeah. happens in the neighborhood that it's just been abandoned. And I, I love that concept. And I think it's a cool, it's cool we got a new Clive Barker concept. Two of them. In the movie. So, I like Books of Blood. Yeah, I, I,
1: are, are, are people not aware that clive barker was part of this production or
0: no i don't think people know that um and not only was clive barker a part of the production um and this is in the interview so brandon's talked about this he hangs out with clive weekly <laughs> <Right>? yeah yeah <laughs> and they just hang out and talk story and um brandon is inter- is recording these And hoping to one day, uh, you know, write a book about it and his experience talking to Clive because he's sitting at the foot of a master um, (laughs) learning these things. The sad thing is I've heard that the numbers that were pretty good for Hulu, that they liked the download numbers. So I hope we get more Books of Blood. Uh, Brandon has plenty of plans for doing more stories directly from the Books of Blood and um, new Clive Barker concepts. So, right. I hope people go back at, and watch this, give it another shot, look at it again with fresh eyes, think about it from the writing structure standpoint, and support it so we can get more Clive Barker stories and more resources to the future Books of Blood stories. So, I, I hope we see more. Um, but do you watch this, um, Larry? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. I, and I, I,
1: you know, I, it does have low production values and stuff like that. And uh, I'm I'm not really a Clive Barker fan, mm. reading wise. I like I like the Hellraiser some of the Hellraiser movies, um, and some of the other movies that have been made of his works. But I I enjoyed these stories and the way and like you say the way they were told. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that made a lot of sense to me from a, like you say a writing perspective is how it's structured is kind of brilliant in, yeah. in, in bringing everything back, but not introducing new things, but then not referring to the other things, but then bringing them back and it just, yeah, it, it seems like it's building towards a, a sequel or a series mm. uh, and maybe people don't like that, but I feel like it's a complete story already So it didn't break any rules of not being a complete story.
0: Yeah. And, and what I, that's why I think that it's funny because I think this is one where I'm not trying to be contrary, but I just, I really do feel people um, miss the point (laughs) (laughs) on this one. Um, I think that they, I don't know what they were wanting. If they were wanting, you know, S&M demons or like some kind of crazy Clive Barker, like over the top thing. Not all books of blood stories were massive gore fests from top yeah. to bottom. And, and, and I don't know what people were expecting or what they were wanting, but I feel like they missed the point on, on this one. And this is, this is a movie that I will, I will go to the map to defend that I think people are wrong on. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm, that's one of the reasons why I reached out to Brandon and it was so cool. He came on the podcast and, and uh, you know, it's not every day you get to interview the guy who killed captain Kirk. (laughs) This uh, is a true statement. (laughs) One of two, one of two guys that killed captain Kirk. So your number seven. My number seven is number seven
1: is (laughs) I, and I don't know if you've seen this one, but I, I, I think you have. Underwater, I did see it. I think it's a an underrated gem, and I I I know that uh, Kristen Stewart isn't the best actress in the world. She's got the <laughs> the the, <laughs> the range of a a piece of wood, but I I think that the story is interesting, if not too original. I think the visuals are amazing the the creature effects are horrifying and and well done well placed um, i i didn't look at it as a mythology movie so i looked at it as its own thing and that might might help for some people enjoy it i think a lot of people liked
0: it because they thought it was lovecraftian see i
1: <laughs> I, I just the, the scale for me is is off if you're thinking Lovecraftian. So I, I like to think of it as as just a a
0: sea monster movie. Okay, so I thought it was an okay movie. <laughs> I did not dislike it. I was entertained watching it. Um exactly. Th- there was a Irish sea horror movie called like sea fever i think that came out around the same time oh really uh let me look that one up because i thought that was better and Hmm. i because i watched them like really close to each other yeah sea fever it's a irish horror movie about a a trawler that's marooned at sea yes uh that movie because i watched because i I think I watched them back to back because there was an episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy about um, underwater horror, and so I I, I, hit, I couldn't listen to the episode until I watched both. So I I watched both, and I think Sea Fever was was slightly better. So just my opinion, and that one's kind of monstery too, but done on a lower budget, and and I just think a better movie. But so you should check out Sea Fever. <laughs> yeah, I should. And but underwater was good, it, 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 and and I'm not totally anti Chris, Kristen Stewart, uh, although I do think her best performance was Panic Room when she was a little kid. So, um, yeah, I, I think she's been
1: good in a couple of things, or at least like Sandra Bullock, she can pull off not bad.
0: That's about as <laughs> good as it gets. All right, so the next, my number six. And you know that scene in Return of the Jedi when Obi Wan says, That was our last hope. And Yoda says, There is another. Um, <laughs> possessor, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, the son of David Cronenberg. Uh,
1: yeah, this one's on my list to see.
0: Yeah, this is, it's only $2 on Prime, dude. So uh, I have Prime. Why do I need to buy stuff? <laughs> I don't know. They, somebody got it. A- <laughs> Pay for the movie. Um, but uh, the thing about... Yeah. The- Bezos can
1: pay for the movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, the thing about a Possessor is that um, this is Cronenberg Jr.'s second movie. Antiviral I liked. Possessor is a much more assured movie. I think what I... The way I would categorize this is it's early Cronenberg... Meets early Nolan, mm-hmm. memento following era, no money Nolan, right? right. It has that kind of feel to it, and it has uh, it's a very PKD, what is reality kind of thing going on. Because what the story is about, uh, a, a secret agent who works for an organization where they are able to enter the bodies of other people, so like they want to ruin somebody they enter their body and do bad things so really good performances from andrea riseborough who's in the main role and christopher abbott who most people will not know they'll say he's a that guy actor Where you are like oh, i know that guy i know okay. from somewhere but um he was great in it comes at night he played a really crucial role in that movie and that's where most people mm. will remember him from, which is one of my favorite movies of the last couple years. Uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Comes at Night was great. Yeah. So Uh, that's another one of those is it a horror movie? It is a goddamn horror movie. It it comes to light as a horror movie. Fuck anyone who disagrees. (laughs) Um, And uh, I really liked Possessor. I thought it was great. It's very weird. It's uncomfortable. It feels like a David Cronenberg movie. Um, The Apple definitely did not fall far from the tree here. And what's great is that, well, the... And actual- it,
1: it, it, it's like body horror, right? It's full yeah. on. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And, and so while the, the actual real David Cronenberg is making crime movies or Map of the Stars or whatever he's been making lately, right, right. <laughs> his son is carrying on the legacy for a gross, disgusting, creepy, weird sci-fi horror. <laughs> yeah, possessor. I liked it, uh, Larry. You're number six.
1: All right, um, but I just looked it up, and technically, all right, this one came out December of two thousand and nine. So I'm I'm cheating. I admit it. I admit it. Okay. And uh, but it's I can see. Oh wait, what was it? <laughs> I see you. I keep wanting to call it. I can see you. I see you. And this is, there, there was also another movie that came out in 2019 called I See You, mm. which is a crappy PG-13 horror bullshit movie. This movie has Helen Hunt and John Tenney in it. They play a married couple with a, a disgruntled uh, teenage son because Helen Hunt's character is gone outside the marriage. The son doesn't respect her anymore. The husband's a cop who is gets involved with a kidnapping case of a i think a 10-year-old child and there's so much to this movie there's so much going on and i can't even even if i wanted to give you every spoiler it wouldn't it would be it would take half an hour just to explain how it's done but they play with time they play with Position they play, but there's eighty five red herrings,
0: and, uh, and they, I believe know, it's uh, called Red Snapper. No, uh, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I'm referencing a Perfect
1: Getaway. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, um, but I'm. This is one of those movies like The Perfect Getaway. Okay, which is an underrated uh, movie, where, by the way. This one, I think, is totally underrated. Just in sold. the skill, it's a first-time, first-time screenwriter, who is normally an actor, uh, and I think I, I can't remember the the director is has some experience, but not
0: a, a, a shit ton. And I, I'm told I want to see it. I, I, I will report back. to Yeah, you. it's good. All right. So my number five is from one of my is a film by one of my favorite directors working today. Um, if there one director i I would love to work with, um, and that is Brad Anderson, the director of Session Nine, The Machinist, um, and um, finishing on seventh street which is super underrated great horror movie he has a new movie it was straight to netflix um called fractured starring sam worthington and this is a a hard sell for me that sam worthington but yeah brad anderson um, does make up for it yeah well the only movie by brad anderson that i was not particularly fond of was the 911 call center movie he made with Halle berry and uh but this one uh and by the way brad anderson also directed a lot of the best episodes of the wire and fringe and and trans is also yeah, don't forget trans-siberian <laughs> yeah that's an incredible movie yeah sam worthington not the most incredible actor but um but here's the thing man it's brad anderson i was going to check it out anyways and this is one of those like paranoid What is really happening? Thrillers, there's nothing really mind numbing or mind bendingly original or new going on in this movie. It's just a solid Brad Anderson like thriller that worked for me. I didn't have high expectations because it was straight to Netflix, and but it was Brad Anderson, so I was there for it. And we put it on on a Saturday night, and it just um, it just worked worked for me. And well, see, uh, I th- that's what I think about
1: Brad A- Anderson's movies is that he, he's not he's not the wow type, you know, uh, David Fincher kind of, of director. He's not he's not going to really just knock it out of the park, but everything he makes is solid. You know,
0: is solid. Yeah, I would disagree. It's entertaining and solid. The only one I would disagree on is I think The Machinist is a masterpiece. And I think The Machinist is a movie that Carrie and I were lucky enough to see it in the theater at mm. Landmark and Hillcrest. It uh, right. did not play in very many theaters. And there is no movie that I have seen that more depended on the theatrical experience, despite whatever the audience was doing just on how the movie projected and how it immersed you in it you if you watch the machinist at home where you're you're surrounded <laughs> yeah your surroundings are around you you can pause it you can get up you can go to the bathroom you can do all those things it totally doesn't work on the same level as the it's going, you're immersed in it, it's taking over the room, it's all that space. Even just right. that first moment where Christian Bale walks on the screen, and you know, you've heard, you've read about the fact that he's like emaciated, emaciated, and 30 pounds. Yeah. But still, when he walks across the screen, there were still gasps in the theater. Right. And everyone knew it was coming. We just, I, and part of it, I think, is I think you thought you were going to build up to that, that he was going to start. Yeah. And 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 I think the Machinist is a movie that that's the most tied to the theatrical experience I've ever seen, and I would say that is a masterpiece. And I think Session Nine is pretty incredible as as well. I think he's
1: yeah, I, I, there's parts of Session Nine that drag a little, and I would say the same about the Machinist. But the uh, but if
0: you, I I don't have that theatrical mm-hmm. uh, experience, yeah. To, yeah, to compare it to. Yeah, and because I've watched the machinist since on video. I remember the first time we watched the machinist on video, I still loved it, but I remember saying yeah. to Carrie, like, this is, doesn't work the same. It's just <laughs> not it's just not the same. And we got a chance to meet Scott Kosar, who who wrote it at the Bram Stoker Awards, and we kind of gushed on him about the machinist for a little while. And he he and Carrie and I talked about that how that movie is dependent on, on the theater. And and he agreed with us, but yeah, yeah. It was a cool experience. I, I, I'd love to get him on the podcast. I put, I put feelers out there to, um, so hopefully, hopefully Scott Kosar, he's a a guest I would love to have. All right. You're you're number five, Larry.
1: My number five is, Oh, I'm sure you're going to love this one is the prom, which
0: yeah, Never of course. It. You don't know.
1: It's, uh, the the prom is a first of all, it's a musical. So, bang! I know I, I got you right there.
0: Come on. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Go it's ahead.
1: A, it's sort of a a it's a very campy uh, jab at at uh, Broadway and Broadway actors. It stars Meryl Streep and. Uh, keegan michael key and uh james corden nicole kidman and is directed by ryan murphy who is the guy behind um, american horror story american horror story but but also that what is that that teeny teeny bopper singing show glee glee so he's he's very talented obviously but yeah but this one definitely goes towards his campy side not his his terrifying horror side the, the some music it, is yeah. great the story is good enough it takes on issues you know it's lgbtq uh, all the way because that's that's who ryan murphy is it's just a well-done piece bright colors you know, uh, Indiana parents. <laughs> yeah, not, they're not known as the
0: most uh, open
1: and right. inviting.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, my number four is Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, which. I is, really want to see that one. Yeah. Um, this is a movie that probably would have been in theaters had 2020 not been the way that it was. I definitely think we lost a little bit of the experience with the movie because it wasn't in the theater. I think Spike Lee has been on a roll lately with Black Klansman and. um, But uh, I think he's been doing so well
1: that I'm willing to see a Spike Lee movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, The cast in this movie is incredible. Clark Peters from The Wire. There's two Wire actors in here. Uh, is incredible. Jonathan Majors from Lovecraft Country and Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was a great movie from last year, is is really incredible. What's really cool about Jonathan Majors is I feel like he... I never would have seen the performance he did in this or Lovecraft Country coming out of the guy that was in Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Because that was his first role, and I thought, oh, this is a really quiet, soft-spoken guy, <laughs> right? And then, um, but the, the star of the movie, as far as performances, is Delroy Lindo. He's kind of been out of the spotlight for a while, huh? Yeah. Um, this is his performance in this movie. Like the last half of the movie is one of those performances where you're, where, while you're watching it, you're thinking, just give him the Oscar now. Just <laughs> give right. it to him. <laughs> I'm not so sure when you think in the totality of everything that happened in the year, whether that's the best performance. I think the best performance I've seen this year was Ethan Hawke on the TV series, The Good Lord Bird. Yep. Um, Delroy Lindo kind of loses his mind in the last part of this movie, and it's not yeah. really a spoiler because he he plays a... From a mile, a mile away. <laughs> yeah, he plays a Trumper Republican. Like This is a heist movie about... A group of black soldiers who go back to Vietnam to find a stash that they left really? during the war. And so it's kind of got a heist movie thing. It also has one of the last performances from Chadwick Bozeman. He's great in it. Okay. Um, and what's really kind of creepy is he plays a ghost in the movie. Wow! So, yeah. And there's definitely some heavy-handed Spike Lee, like, reacting to the moment 2020 stuff. Um, But I actually think it works um, in the context of the movie. And it's really interesting to note that the original screenplay was a blacklist screenplay that was going around for a long time. And it was written for like Clint Eastwood and a bunch of old white guys. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And um, Spike Lee's and his writing partner, um, what's his, um, Kevin will wilmot, kevin wilmot they um uh, kind of african-americanized it um and which i think was actually really good because we've seen a bunch of old vietnam that yeah movies. We, we, we don't need any more of those movies yes and so they they kind of did that and and uh, by the way it, it, speaking of kevin Wilmont, have you ever seen his movie confederate states of america
1: no i haven't seen it I, I, i've heard about it i is it one of those that I was worried about it being too heavy handed?
0: No, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. You sh- you should see it. It's great. But yeah, Five Bloods, I'm not going to go super deep on it. It's definitely a Spike Lee movie. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I thought it was really good. It's my number four movie of the year. Right. Um, it's a little long, but nothing that you're not expecting with Spike Lee. So you're number four. Well, I did use the movies in the theater.
1: <laughs> Which well, there's only two that I saw in the theater, but so my number four is 1917. Uh, what is there that hasn't been said about 1917? It's a it's a good story. It's a kind of a great story. If great story. a little, if a little generic, but I mean, the, like you said earlier, the fact that you can forget. The, the central conceit of the movie and and just watch the story itself and still be entertained is is a testament to the filmmaking and the writing
0: you know and the performances are great, and I also feel like by the end of nineteen seventeen you've you feel like you've gone on a journey
1: exhausted yeah like, it's exhausting <laughs> yeah you know, when when he finally reaches the the camp and Lays down in the field, and you're like, you get to catch. You actually have to catch your breath.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, it's 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 an incredible movie. Um, I, I still think of it as 2019. I just, I, I it would have been it would have been really high on my list if if I considered it. I,
1: I think they they did like a special screening, so it could be in the Oscars or whatever.
0: They did New York and Los Angeles. Yeah. In 2019 so it's technically a 2019 movie so all right um my number three is just like is an example of when i said just give delroy the the oscars that's because i i had not seen my number three movie at uh the sound of metal
1: yeah i don't know anything about
0: this one okay so um the sound of metal it's funny because when if you saw the main actor of the movie, Riz Ahmed, you'd be like, where, where where do I know that guy from? And it's because he played the pilot who stole the data tapes in Rogue One. Oh, nice. And his girlfriend is an unrecognizable Olivia Cook, who is unrecognizable from having been on Bates Motel, which is her <laughs> big role. But they both give incredible performances. So the story of the Sound of Metal is that this that Olivia Cook and Riz Ahmed play um, a couple who have like a two person like metal band, and okay. they they drive around playing like this very punk duo driving around in an RV, and music is their life. It's everything. He's a former he's a recovered heroin addict. Um, but they have kind of, what I liked, one of the things I liked about the movie is they have an ideal life for them. It does not look like the ideal life for most people, but they're driving around playing music. He makes smoothies for her in the RV and they, 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 they travel around and, and, um, but music is their life. It's everything. And then shortly after the movie begins, he starts to lose his hearing and he goes deaf and you know how's a heavy metal drummer going to do the things that he loves one of the things i love about this movie is that they never the character never says he never actually says i need music it's the thing i love most in the world i have to have this it's just it's dripped off there. every moment of every frame of the movie it's just this traumatic horrible thing where he's losing his hearing He has to go live on a farm for the deaf community to learn how to sign. Wow. And very tragic. Yeah. It's a very tragic movie. It's not, it's definitely not the feel good movie of the year. Um, And Riz Ahmed is a, um, is a, uh, and, and they don't do a lot of punk rock stuff in there, but just the shirts that he's wearing are, are very accurate punk shirts that like, where I thought, wow, like he's wearing a Gizem shirt. That's <laughs> it's not like they sent a PA down to- to um, Do Hot Topic. Hot Topic <laughs> to get an AFI shirt. It's, it's, <laughs> it's- So I think somebody involved with it is really involved in punk or hardcore. And Riz Ahmed is a, a, a MC. He's a hip hop artist. He was already a musician. He learned how to play drums for the movie, hung out with a lot of punks. He also hung out in the deaf community, wore sound blockers to experience what it was like to be deaf. And uh, it all comes out in the performances. Sound of Metal is definitely one of the, is the probably the best performance I've seen all year. Um, wow. and, uh,
1: i I looked up the director, writer-director. Yeah. Um, and he, he did, uh, at least wrote The Place Beyond the Pines. right. Which, not a cheery movie there either.
0: no not a cheery <laughs> movie either there's a a small performance by an actor named paul reishi or Rishi, um who runs the deaf community and he's incredible in the movie is a small role but just very very good the um okay. that last scene at the deaf community is heartbreaking yeah it's a great movie yeah i can't say enough um and it's on prime video so you and uh Marty should watch it soon. Yeah. Um, Highly recommend that. Your number three, Larry. My number three. I will tell you about that in a bit. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because I'm assuming it's my number two. Uh, No. No. Uh, Oh, it's on there. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, my number two is a Russian film called Sputnik. and this movie may have been a little long. It made up for whatever um, things were wrong with it by being one of the best alien invasion horror movies I've ever seen. Um, like, not on the level of the thing, but... Yeah. Per- <laughs>
1: yeah. Calling it alien invasion.
0: Well,
1: that's
0: <laughs> well, a bit of a stretch. I don't know. I see it that way. It's a body horror... Alien contact weird.
1: I like Alien Contact.
0: Yeah, Alien Contact gone gross and wrong and fucked up and yeah, it's definitely body horror too, and gets really really weird. It's it's a Russian language movie, so it's I you know subtitled and all that and and uh, but the alien in it is really cool and really weird. And actually, looks like an like something that could be alien. Like, yeah, the special the special effects were
1: really good in this.
0: Yeah, and so I don't have a ton to say about it, but other other than the fact that I just thought it really worked and and well, there's twists.
1: I mean, there, there's unex, there's really unexpected twists. Yes, uh, you know, it, the the characters have a, have a nice amount of depth. There's basically three characters. Mm-hmm. In the whole the whole movie, I mean, there's other people there that do things and say things, but they really don't matter. Or there're four because there's the the so, girl, the guy, the boss, and the alien. The alien itself is a is a character.
0: And so, um, my feeling of why it got so high on my list is because we don't get to see a lot of truly alien aliens in yeah it's in true. movies. And so it just really worked for me. I this was a movie that I got fucking excited when it was over like and I was excited to tell people like you should watch this movie. It's really good and and um it wasn't perfect. It was a little long. There were there were some twists that I thought were a little bit of a stretch, but like the performances were good. It was I was it was a really well, see, I my only real
1: problem with it was the the main character was a little too altruistic, mm. especially for someone in the cold, in the cold war era. Uh It just, I had a bit of a problem, but that's, that's really, you know, neither here nor there. It's.
0: Yeah, I can see that. But um, I, I also just really appreciate how drab and dreary, everything looked. And it was, you know, um, yeah, I, I appreciated it. I, I just thought it was a great movie. So yeah, my number right. two Yeah, it
1: was my it was my number nine.
0: Oh, okay. That's why
1: yeah. 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 I didn't want to talk about it before you got to it. And uh my number two, which is one we've already talked about. Wait, are we on three or two? You're on two. Oh right, right, right. Getting confused. Uh is the uh, is the trial of the Chicago seven. Like I said, I saw it three times in the first week it came out. Uh, I love, I obviously love Aaron Sorkin's writing. I loved the performances in this. I thought all the British actors did a great job at being Americans. Um, I hated the judge just like you were supposed to. Yeah. I had sympathy for the uh, prosecutor, which again, (laughs) joseph gordon levitt Mm -hmm. uh you know and it's it's patriotic in a way you don't see very often it's not like chest-thumping patriotism it's look how fucked up everything is
0: yeah and a lot of the facts of the case that were in the movie were some of the most unbelievable parts <laughs> right yeah. like that, that the, the judge was even you know the, like worse, I, yeah, <laughs> worse the than they actually yeah. portrayed him in the movie and yeah. they portrayed him pretty bad in the movie so and and just to think that that guy was out there existing is hard on the brain yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah that was tough yeah no i liked it i appreciated it um i thought um Oh God! Who was the actor who po- played Tom Hayden? Um, I thought he was really good. Oh yeah, um, Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne, yeah, because he gets a lot of gruff, especially after Jupiter Ascending. But um, <laughs> but he's an amazing actor. I mean, he yeah. does a
1: lot of good stuff. But he's he's pretty out there. So yeah. to see him
0: see him play the the so called normal one in this. All right. So, so what? So, what was your number one movie of the year, and then we'll do mine.
1: All right. So, my number one movie of the year was again the other one I saw in the theater was The Lodge. Hmm. This movie had everything for me. <laughs> everything I want in a movie was in this movie. Right. And I, I, I oh, not doing spoilers, so it's great.
0: <laughs> well speaking of the person who was sitting next to you um, in the theater and um, i was the only one laughing my ass off <laughs> yeah you were laughing alone <laughs> at yep. certain things and and and, and... <laughs> yeah and um no i thought it was a great movie i think um i think much like the machinist it's a when i watched it at home it didn't quite have the immersion or the it didn't quite work as well at home so when I've heard, when I've had people tell me like, oh, that was okay, or I didn't really like it, the first <laughs> thing I've asked them is if they saw it at home or if they saw it in the theater. Because The first
1: I, thing I'd ask them is, do you like children?
0: Yeah, because <laughs> if they like, yeah, this is definitely the horror of children movie of all time. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I like The Lodge, and and probably if I had remembered that it came out in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been higher on my list, but uh, right. um, I definitely thought in my mind that came out in 2007, just because <laughs> of the money. Yeah, um, seems like it. Yeah, no, The Lodge is great, and it is definitely like The Machinist, a movie that benefits from the immersion of seeing it on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Pausing, stopping things in your room, like, it all works against this this movie working
1: yeah but yeah. i what I will say is it does a great job at keeping you guessing uh and and putting putting characters in weird situations
0: and probably the worst dad on the planet
1: probably the worst dad on the planet
0: yeah. <laughs> really into himself though really All right we're 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 <laughs> almost we're almost done. My number one, and uh, apparently your number three since you didn't want to talk about it, is Correct. is uh, streaming on Netflix, the Spanish film. Yeah. Go see it right now. Yeah. The Spanish film, The Platform. Uh, this movie knocked my socks off. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the experience of watching... I watched this movie dubbed into English, which I normally hate, um, but I didn't care after a few minutes because the story was so intense. Um, it's hard to talk about the platform without kind of spoiling it, but the basic idea of the platform is that there it's a surreal horror movie. It's almost like a Jean Genet um, It's... It, I kind of described it at the time as it's, it's it's, it's as if Jean Genet was trying to make a Saw movie. Um, And uh, I can see that because it's like a surreal torture porn kind of thing. Um, So, and it's about classism. It's about like how people use resources. It's uh,
1: that's what really got me about it was that, that so many different topics were handled so well
0: yeah if you explain to people without telling them what the plot is all the things that it does you're going to be like how can a movie do all those things and make all those points but it does the plot it's kind of hard to explain but it's there's a guy who's trapped on in he's in a prison there's a it's a prison there's one platform in the middle that brings food down and everyone that lives so there's, on every, there's two people per cell which two, per level yeah
1: there's however many levels but every meal time every day it's once a day right once a day a platform full of all kinds of food is lowered by level one at a time one at a time you have 2 minutes to eat and it, there's no refilling.
0: Yeah. And there's no stashing food. You can't stash food. Nope. You have to just eat with what's there. Um, and so there's that, a fake merit system. There's like, yeah,
1: there's talk of gods. There's, Oh,
0: it's what awesome. In there. Yeah. What, a, what a concept, what a, to, it has so much to do with such little resources like um as a, a it's the most stretching of a low budget i think i've ever seen yeah, right <laughs> it's it's incredible um i think the platform is definitely the coolest most insane movie that i saw this year yeah um maybe in many years uh, i fucking i loved it i thought it worked on every level it was it was, uh, yeah, pun intended. It worked on every level. Uh, <laughs> and, I think it's, uh, it's kind of a spiritual successor
1: to Cube as well, just in yeah. the way the floors have their own special things about them. And
0: well, and the Cube was filmed with one set multiplying over and over and over, and I think they did the same thing with the platform. Yeah, I think
1: they <laughs> they not afford to do more than that. I don't
0: think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Carrie liked the platform too, which, um, you know, when I started describing, oh, it's a horror movie and this and that, I, yeah. It, yeah, I, I wasn't sure she was going to dig it, but we both like were floored by the movie. There's tons of moments where you just look at each, when you're watching it with somebody, you just look at each other and like, what the hell am I watching? Yeah. This is insane, um, but a, a, just an absolutely genius movie.
1: I love the sociological aspects. Yeah. The economic aspects. That,
0: People will be writing essays about this movie for years. It's, um, yeah, it's just, and it's on Netflix. So. Yeah. <laughs> so don't say that is, they don't make good movies. This year to kind of proved to me
1: that there is some good stuff on Netflix.
0: <laughs> yeah, in I previous say- years,
1: I did not take Netflix seriously. Yeah. Like them winning awards for making stuff. I was like, what? what's It's not even it's not even a real platform.
0: Yeah. Well, they're starting to get new. I mean, the fact that Spike Lee Yeah, so I mean there were Aaron three. Sorkin. Yeah. So between David Venture. Yeah. yeah. Even though I did not like David Fincher's movie this year, but I haven't seen it yet, so um i i'm a huge david Fincher fan but mank was but you don't like his dad apparently <laughs> yeah his dad wrote. It. yeah no i just think that i'm not a huge fan of citizen kane and i think in order to to really enjoy that movie you have to be a nerd for citizen kane <laughs> Well, or california I, politics. Then then. i have a chance <laughs> yeah you do have a chance all right so um yeah those are the movies of 2020 um larry any closing statements on uh on, on our lists.
1: Well, I have I have one other thing to say, and that's, Birds of Prey was also terrible.
0: Yeah. Well, I I wouldn't know, and I'm proud to say <laughs> I I would not know. Uh, I think that, that uh, World uh, Wo-
1: Wonder Woman, 1984 is the worst thing DC has made. There was a movie that came out this year that was <laughs> way worse.
0: Way worse. Okay. Um, Yeah. On that note, I just want to say, yeah, that The Lodge in 1917 were were my misses because I could not wrap my head around the fact that those came out this year.
1: That we actually had a small portion of the year that we went outdoors and did things.
0: (laughs) Hey, well, you know, I'm glad that the last movie you saw in the theater was one with me. (laughs) That's true yeah all right um all right buddy it's good talking to you about movies and i got errands to run so i'm gonna hit stop on this so i hope people enjoyed this list they wrote down things and found things that they were gonna watch or we added some depth to the movies that they'd already seen um and uh if you want to see us hot take each other more you gotta go over to the dickheads podcast where um we argue about phil k dick so yeah
1: and totally let us know what your favorite movie was of yeah. this awful year
0: in the comments down there yeah say stuff we'll <laughs> we'll we'll listen all right uh that i can't tell people to stay paranoid just yeah. <laughs> later. yeah but
1: the urge is there just to say it. stay paranoid
0: all right bye <laughs>